to start this cheerful discussion with depression is what I want to do because I've always been a gloomy, depressive little girl from Pittsburgh. That was that was how I was. But I've also been funny and cheerful too. But something happened to me uh, right before, it started really before the pandemic, but then it really kicked in. I went into a clinical depression. I thought I knew what a depression was, but this was an extra special one. I started calling it my precious depression after a while. I was wandering the land, weeping for months. I don't even know how many months it was, like La Llorona. I can't remember it. My daughter says, it's good. You don't need to remember it. What I wanted to talk about is how the forces rallied and really, really supported me and helped me. And I helped myself and my friends helped me. And I thought I wanted to talk about that. This is the podcast, Creative at the Real, and I'm Julie Clare. As a transformational life coach and creativity guide, my life's work is helping people reshape their lives from the inside out. Here, I have deep dive conversations with luminaries who share about their own transformational journeys and how they became soul-sourced and creatively juiced. May their stories uplift and embolden all of us. Let's jump in. Today, my guest is Joan Logie. Joan has lived a life in poetry in La Puebla, New Mexico. She and her husband, Michael, built their own solar houses, raised three children, and have five grandchildren. She taught poetry to children in Bratislava, Slovakia, Vienna, Austria, and Zagreb, Zagreb, Croatia. She believes in the power of the local and, um, and let's see, and free art workshops, AIDS writing circles, and taught at Gross Ranch 31 years and as a poet in the schools for 40 years. I know of Joan through these, through all these many things that she's done uh, through writing. Joan was Santa Fe's Poet Laureate from 2010 to 2012. She has authored or edited a dozen books. Joan and I are both good friends of Renee Gregorio, also a poet and fellow New Mexican. I wanted to spend time talking with her for many years. I don't know if she knows this, uh, and I'm grateful to have this chance. Welcome in, Joan. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. Absolutely. Friend of a friend, but also I know of you because you're famous in where we live, uh, Joan. You have been here spreading the word of poetry and creativity in so many different ways. Uh, I just celebrate you fully. And we are both sitting in New Mexico right now. We've got fires in the near distance, but we've also got this spring beauty. And I'd love for you, just give me a sense of where you right, where you are right now, even where you're sitting in the house, because I just got a peek of the house you're sitting in and it's beautiful. I'm sitting in a big recliner chair that belongs to my friend, Trisha's father. I've had it for about 20 years now. And against a blue wall, that has art hanging on it. It's a beautiful shade of blue that has art hanging on it. And I'm sitting very comfortably looking around at this house and how we built, Michael pretty much one-handedly built this house. In the old days when everybody went back to the land and built their own houses, people don't do that so much right now. But it took us about 16 years and we lived in it while we were building, which I don't recommend. And we raised three kids in this house and, um, here, here I sit. Here you sit. Well, what it's like? To, what is it like right now to be be there and on the land? Is it still very unoccupied by people? Because um, you built a couple houses right there, right? Is it spacious? Yes. What's it like there? Well, when we moved here, there was nothing. There wasn't a. Tr- there was, I think, on six acres that we have, there were like two ratty trees, 
my husband has planted the whole place. We kept mortgaging a house and building another house. So we have three houses in a row that are occupied by my children. So we do have the traditional New Mexico family compound with all the family, except for Matt, who's in Santa Fe, a half hour away. So we're all, you know, within a half hour from being together. Not that we are the kind that say, let's have Sunday dinner once a month. We we say that constantly, and then we never can get organized enough to do it. But we all, my whole family lives just a shout away, which is a miracle. It is a miracle. And it's funny, it is... I don't a lot. Of, I don't know a lot of people building their own homes right now uh, in that way, getting that acreage and starting from scratch like that. Um, it's quite. It's quite something. So, where are you? I know you as a writer. I also know you've obviously got this full family life, multi generational, uh, on the land there. Uh, t- what, where where can we catch up to where you are right now? Are you writing? Are you are you done writing? We we did have a little bit of a talk, so I know you're in the midst of, of change. So, yeah, I. To start this cheerful yes. discussion with depression is what I want to do because yes. I've always been a gloomy, depressive little girl from Pittsburgh. That was that was how I was. But I've also been funny and cheerful too. But something happened to me uh, right before, it started really before the pandemic, but then it really kicked in. I went into a clinical depression I thought I knew what a depression was, but this was an extra special one. I started calling it my precious depression after a while. I was wandering the land, weeping for months. I don't even know how many months it was, like La Llorona. I can't remember it. My daughter says, it's good. You don't need to remember it. The, what I wanted to talk about is how the forces rallied and really, really supported me and helped me. And I helped myself and my friends helped me. And I thought I wanted to talk about that. Yeah, let's go. For sure. Um, yeah, I was I was La Llorona. I was just wandering, sobbing. And my my one daughter was living here at the time. The other one was still in Pittsburgh with her two kids and husband. And I thought I would I really believed I would never see them again because of the pandemic. I stopped yeah. driving. I didn't go to I didn't drive to Santa Fe for an entire year. And Santa Fe is like my lifeblood. It's my city, you know, as well as Espanol. I don't want to let Espanola go yet. Um, so for one year, I did not drive to Santa Fe. I drove locally. Um, I didn't do anything. I didn't write a. I didn't write poem one, and I didn't really care. And no, don't mess, mess with me about it. Friends rally. Can I tell the name of a book that I didn't write? Sure. My friend Julie gave me the No Bullshit Guide to Depression by someone called Stephen Skoxen, S K O C Z E N, which was a really helpful book because I always thought you get depressed. But it's like it is like you get the flu. It's it really get you know it really slams you, and it's a different thing than oh I'm feeling so depressed. It's really mental illness, and I found myself in territory that I never hoped to be in. So I'm sitting in the back porch on July 5th of 2020, I guess it is, and my friend Julie and her sister-in-law Robin Rodar come over the hill, and Robin Rodar takes one look. People take one look at me. And kind of run the other way. Robin says, you need to walk. And I said, you don't understand. I don't exercise. She said, you need to walk. I'll be here tomorrow. She has been showing up for me almost every day since then. Like this week, we're down a little bit. The week before, we did five times in a row. Wow. She took me on. And I call her Coach Robin 
Now, this is a person with great skills and ability. She was the principal at um, Santa Clara Day School at the Res. And I would go in and do poetry sometimes with the school. But I knew her since 1973, since the first um, wow. year I was here, I met her at the farmer's market. She was the first person breastfeeding in public I ever met at the farmer's market in Los Alamos. And we were friends on and off, but now we're like, sisters we see each other every day sometimes we're incredibly boring usually we're funny and we what's have a, what's the walking people. doing john what's the walking doing for you how, how well, is that is one thing that the book said is one of the best things to do we started i couldn't even do a half a mile and we do two miles it's not like we're not like my friend michelle holland who just won senior olympics or you know like that we're not like that <laughs> right and we're so slow that a lot of people don't want to be seen with us or walk with us but this is great. We walk. I love to just do the same thing over and over. It comes from riding horses in a circle as a child, I think. So I want to do the same walk all the time. We do three basic walks. And one of them is from our playground up on the hill, just a mile down and a mile back. But there's this guy, Johnny Pena, and he calls us Charlie's Angels, which I love. He says, here come Charlie's Angels. It's so cold out. You're so brave. So we just walk and talk. One, one, while we were walking, a couple other people joined us. Robin, Ro, we have Robin Ryder and then Robin Rodar. You like that? God, that's really funny, actually. Robin Ryder liquidated all her weaving and her whole life in New Mexico, sold her house and moved to Mexico. So we were the ears for each other. I think this was so profound. We just listened to each other through boring days, crying days, all this. So it became like this little posse and they know us on the road people know us because we're just you know it's country roads mm. so that i think was profoundly helpful then i started gathering other things that helped me my child this is this is so wild my childhood friend who lives in vermont alicia had a therapist that does emdr and for those of you that can't remember what that is, which is myself, I've been doing it for almost two years. EMDR means eye movement desensitization reprocessing. And it's this interesting therapy, which you can look up. And I'm not yeah. It's very interesting. So I'm working with an 84-year-old man in Vermont, virtually. And it has been such a joy. He's like the wise, uh, I've projected the wise grandfather I never had. I didn't have any grandparents, which I think is part of my problem. Um, and I am a grandmother, which is not, which is part of my solution. Mm. Um, see, and you've been doing EMDR and that's I've, really been a part. It's been a part and, and you know, and I can, it's casual enough that I can call him. A, I, I don't, but I can give him a call and I have this person that's a support person. It's not my family. I'm such a believer in therapy. I have two therapists. And uh, and then the other, so I'd work with him about childhood things. I mean, miracle after miracle have been happening. I got this uh, phone call, which I wasn't going to answer. And I didn't answer it. And I didn't answer it. And she kept calling back and her name, you know, they put sneaky names that sounds like your best friend, but it's not to try to sell you something. Anyhow, I finally answered the phone. And this woman said, I have a mail for you. I said, it's probably junk mail. She said, no, it says photo, do not bend. So I met her down at the gun club because she knew where the gun club was in La Puebla. 
took the envelope and when I should have opened it then, but I didn't. But when I got home, it had been circling around. It was the wrong address. It was a picture of my mother. Oh my gosh. And it was a letter from my cousin who I had not communicated with for 19 years since my mother's death. And this cousin, it ties into the MDR, EMDR, was a source of, of support and nurturing to me as a child. She would stay at my house while my parents in their semi-jet set ways would go to Palm Springs or Boca to see where they wanted to retire. And I'd be this little gloomy girl at home. But my cousin Stephanie would come and stay with us. Twice she stayed with me about a month. So I got in touch with her and she became a resource. So that was kind of a miracle that that letter found its way to me, that I answered that phone call. And there was Betty looking gorgeous over the years. So that was that was another thing on um, the EMDR. Let me look and see what else. Kindness, isn't that something? In other words, life's showing up and you're in this clinical depression and, and it's not like anything that you ever expected or wanted, obviously. And, but things are showing up and people through the guise of people. And it, it does feel like miracles, like what you really need is showing up. What, what was it like at that to be going through this, getting this? It sounds like not all of this happened at once, right? Over a period of time. Yeah, the, the, first what, year, the first year of the, of the, the first year. Yeah. What, what was it like in your own mind not to be writing during this? Was it an easy thing? Was it a hard thing? Was it, it dropped out pretty quickly with the emotions or what, what was that like with your writing life? Well, there's a couple of things. One of them is, and I was sitting at John and Renee's house, our friend Renee's house. Yeah. And John, John Brandy said, what are you doing with your writing? And I said, nothing. And I said, but I'm really happy with my body of work. And I think I even put my hand on one of my books. I don't feel like, I feel like I wrote some good stuff. I don't feel completely driven to do that. A lot of other people, are writing poems right now. The world is not suffering from a dearth of poetry. People are writing poems, they're Zooming, they're, I was Zooming. I was Zooming on days when I was sobbing all day. I, I have to tell, I Zoomed at for um, Upaya Zen Center, sitting on my red couch across the room and pretending I was reading to my kids who were still in Pittsburgh. And I read child mind poetry to the Zen students who were newly locked down, who I could see and they became kind of my children. And they didn't know that I, maybe they did. I thought that they didn't know I was depressed. I was just trying to give them this love fest because they were in lockdown at the beautiful Upaya Zen Center. So it was a complex situation. Um, Very was, complex. And you're, re you're re uh, reading children's poems? Children that my grandchild wrote. My wow. grandchild is very gifted. And I, got her permission. And she was in Pittsburgh watching. And I, she wrote about three, I don't have them with me here. It's okay. beautiful, beautiful, beautiful poems. So I just wanted to talk about the child's mind. Yeah. And, and lockdown and things being shut down and, and this clinical depression. Do you, yeah, I want to keep going there, but do, do you have a sense of where, where are you with that clinical depression right now? Is it, is it, are you still right there? Is it shifting or what, what's well, happened with that? I'll tell one more story about the meds. Yeah. Now, I'm, I'm in a community that's not in favor of big pharma. I have to say, I call it the big pharmaca by accident, but it's big pharma. <laughs> they are in favor of big pharmaca because we have that store, but um, <laughs> I am on quite, in fact, I'm cutting down on one. Finally, I'm on, antidepressants. Yeah. 
galore. And I just have to say, when you know, I'm in a house where people are into MAPS, which is an organization called Multidisciplinary Association of Psychedelic Science. Yeah. That's the crowd that I run with, with my husband, I, that my husband runs with. So we have these people coming in that are doing all kinds of interesting psychedelic things. And I'm taking good old pharmaceutical meds. And guess what? My depression is not resistant to it. My depression, my depression responded to it, which is not the case for everybody. Right. I, and I'm not a doctor and I'm not an expert, but, but, but then I have my other doctor who I adore, who I talked to yesterday and he's worked with me for years. And I'm just like one of those um, neurotic people that does these things. But, but I also feel like I'm, I would say, I feel like I'm a really sane, mentally healthy person. This is so odd. And I think life has lots of jokes and humor and beauty in it. So I came out of that depth through some of these. There's other things too. There were miracles all around. The weird thing is that my EMDR guy in Vermont didn't believe in synchronicity and I would have none of it. So I started keeping what I call, I guess I call it an artist's book. I started doing watercolor and sketches after every EMDR meeting, which at the beginning was once a week. Yeah. And every week I would take this certain size paper that I don't even want to talk about because it's so private. It's such a beautiful watercolor paper. I'll tell you, it's it's six by 12 paper. Yeah. See if you can find it, folks. It's not easy to find. And I I put poems and quotes and the angel of painting. I do, um, I pasted some gold leaves in it. It looks like something a kid, a really sophisticated kid might do. My mm. granddaughter, my granddaughter could do this book, the one that writes poetry, if she wanted to. So this is this is my what, other what got you what what got you to start this book because you know that's this kind of basic essential art that some people will call almost more like children's art I I'm you know I'm a I'm all in on this I this is my own practice of drawing really kids like thing almost daily uh, I, so, I didn't but know how that did that how did that start was it just like I'm gonna just draw something today or did you start with I'm gonna I'm gonna do a a project. I'm going to get a little book and start painting in it. How, how, what was the origins of that? It started, I think, um, in 2016, when my daughter Hope lost a child at four days old. And I went into my first grief. It was grief. It wasn't depression. Yeah. Wonderful to, to know the, the difference. I did not ask for that knowledge, but it was a very sad thing. And I started drawing corn because they were into some Native American um, learnings, teachings about corn. And I just started drawing an ear of corn and an ear of corn. And I filled a whole book with corn and I'm very, and people really respond to it. Even people that are real artists, which I am not, but I think this is my artist moment, the corn. So that was one thing. So then here we are later with this depression in the EMDR and I just, I just got an inkling to, to write about it. I just had so much on my mind. I didn't want to forget it. I like to take notes and I don't want to forget things. And that's part of the impulse of poetry, I think. So in uh, not wanting to forget things, jotting down the quotes, responding to someone who doesn't believe in synchronicity. You know, oh, I didn't tell you what I did. So I have these, these pictures that I made. 
and I send a check to Vermont every few weeks, and I would Xerox or print the um, the colored picture from my book and send it to my therapist. Because of course I want to be special and I want to be loved. So I do this. He doesn't say a word for months. Oh my gosh. And then so he gets a picture with the check. In other words. Yeah. A copy. Yeah. A copy picture. Yeah. And at a certain point he says, why don't you publish those? Which is one thing everybody has been saying, which I don't know how to exactly do. And it would be fun, but I don't care that much. I've published a lot of books. Yeah. Other thing people say is, oh, I can do that. I want to do that. And sometimes I give them a book and send them on their merry way. Or sometimes I tell them where to get the book and watercolor and send them on their merry way. But almost everyone thinks I can do that. So I've been teaching that at Ghost Ranch for a couple of times. You Have you been, you've been teaching this journaling? I taught it last October and if people sign up, I have it this September at Ghost Ranch Conference Center. So you brought it right into showing up with groups of people. And are they expecting you to do more poetry than you're doing? Or is it pretty clear uh, that well, you're... Well, they always want the thing that I'm not doing. You know how that is. I do know how that is. Yes. <laughs> but I they do. Say, I thought you were doing something else, but this has been really helpful. And and in fact, the group that I... um that I worked with. It was the first time all of us had been out of the house. We taught with, I taught with masks on the last time. And while I was up at Ghost Ranch, they had had no cases. They had one case while we were there. So that was interesting and intense. And if we'd been there the next week, we wouldn't have been able to stay. So I hope that next um, September goes well. I I had such a close group that we've met once on Zoom and we're like best buddies. And I've been doing this for 31 years. I've never had a Zoom opportunity. So, you know, a couple of things about it. I just want to interject is one is the, how it starts, you know, your journal kind of got prompted in my hearing anyway, is through this relationship and this time with the MDR and, and having had an experience drawing during a very emotional time previously with the corn, um, and your, your grandchild and, and that died and then being here and it coming back, but having somebody to send a copied picture to, don't you feel like that's part of the life cycle almost that there's, there's like when I started doing my pastels, which led to my painting life, but I, I was in, I was working therapy and the therapist said, why don't you draw that and bring it next time? I'm like, and I would always do what she said. So I'm like, okay. And I just drew something in pastels. And then I was just smitten. I was like, well, why would I stop? You know? And, but it wasn't because she asked or there was somebody to show it first. It wasn't my husband or someone close. It was so I was just, I'm interested in how we get started. It's pretty innocent at the beginning, you know, or maybe I want to thank, I want to thank you for using the word smitten. I just said yesterday that my favorite words were smitten, wistful, <laughs> wistful, because I miss things that I was doing and something else that I can't remember because I'm old. <laughs> but smitten was a word that came up just yesterday. All right. I don't know why I used it. It must be a, a kind of uh, a bonding here, a smittenness bonding. I, so that's so, so cool. And then, so you're doing these and then it became something that people are responding. You show them because you're somebody that can show what you do. It sounds like you're not self-conscious. You don't hide it. You show it to people and they want to do oh. it. And they, and they also want you to publish it. So it becomes immediately kind of received, right? Although not by Mr. M- EMDR immediately, but still there was, there is, um, it sounds like the universe is saying yes. Well, yeah. I, yeah. Saying, I had a thought I had a, important, fabulous thought that went through my mind. 
um, about, oh, anybody that comes over has to look at them. <laughs> oh, that is funny. And I picture myself being, I'm old enough, but I picture myself being ancient and antique and having this tattered copy of the same book and making people look at it. But so, <laughs> so far, they seem okay with it. But if you come to my house, we have an open door policy. We get characters, but we had just two people in uh, refuge from the fire. One from a commune called Hummingbird Ranch. And she oh, did they on. have to, did, did they have to evacuate? I didn't know yeah. that. Of course we they had, did. Yeah. We, had, we have, and then another one that has two homes up in the mountains. Yeah. So anyhow, any, we have a lot of people in and out of the place and they often get <laughs> the, the lucky benefit of seeing my work. And I, that, Okay. Now that enthusiasm is what I know of you when you speak, it's contagious in the room. So I call it enthusiasm, Yes, uh, but it's a, it's a sharing of what you are. I'm just putting this on you, Joan, you can correct me, but I, I, I see it as a sharing of what you're loving and, and adoring and you want other people to be in on it. Can I, yes. Can I tell the story? Yes. The healing. Yeah. She's, she says, yes. Tell that story, Joan. Um, <laughs> It's the story about, well, it goes back to elementary school. It's so interwoven. It's really, um, I, somehow I'm going to condense it. I end up Zooming with one of my dear friends from elementary school named Darry Salk. And he and I Zoom. And he looks at me and thinks I look like I need help too. And we start meeting and uh, uh, there's a sideline. His brother's a psychiatrist. I do need help, but I am getting help. So he brings every two weeks, we get online and talk to each other in Zoom. He brings another person from elementary school, David Finkelhor. So the three of us, every two weeks for well over a year, get on and catch schmooze and catch up with things wow. from 50, 60 years ago and present. So one of the things we do is we invite a third person maybe four or five times, not all the time, because we like our, yeah. our, our little pod. And one of the people we invite is called Ann Wolken. Now, Ann Wolken is an artist. She was an artist as a girl, and she'd be sitting next to me, and the art teacher would say, Joni, look at Ann's picture. Yours are so, I don't know how she said it, but yours are so uptight and constipated and don't do a thing for me. <laughs> Whereas Anne has murals of jazz musicians, galloping stallions that take up the whole wall. She is a true artist, big, like you, big, big, big. And that's how I think of art. So now I'm writing, I'm drawing these little constipated cartoonish things, and I love them. Mm. And it's the fourth grade where I stopped in fourth grade so I say, this is my fourth grade art. And some people say, no, no, no. And, but it is to me because it was sitting next to Ann Wolken. So Ann Wolken becomes zoomed in at one of our um, Dari and David and Joni talks. And I tell her the story and I think, oh my God, this is too much. I always, I'm an oversharer. And I tell her the story and she sends me an original painting and says, you can draw on it and finish it. And it's hanging on my wall. And it's a beautiful, childlike picture. Ann Wolken, you can look her up. She lives in uh, Venice Beach. And it was such... So, so, can, let me clarify that. She sent you one of her pick paintings. She sent me one of her paintings. And she said you can finish it or you can keep yes, going. and draw on it. Yeah. And did yeah. you? No. 
I looked to see if I did. I just put it over the guest room and I just looked at it and it's childlike. And all her work has a childlike beauty. Look her up. And well, definitely. Yeah. She, so her, bro- her brother was founder of Palabolus Dance. Jeez. She's, we had high powered people in our yeah. school in, in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. So anyhow, that's a little side story, but it how did to- that encourage, did it encourage you or was it another, oh. is, is that another, what we're calling miracles or what, what you're calling I, miracles or how do you see that? Oh, it, it was such a healing. And I wrote her back a healing. Course. Yeah. It was such a healing of that. And, and it also encouraged me to keep going with it, whatever, whatever, wherever it goes, which is in the drawer. And if you come over, you get to look at it. And don't you think someone who's what we're calling, you know, this, we'll just say big time artist. We don't, I'll look her up, but a uh, big time artist is saying, absolutely. Yes. Here's one of mine. Keep play on it. If you want to, like, I'm all in with what you're doing to me. What a, what a beautiful additional voice to the choir of yes. You know, um, as you call it, fourth grade art. And, and th- this is what turns me on in life is this story right here, Joan, the possibility um, of turning on that yes to something. So essential and immediate. And I think is the remedy to what I call the dead American syndrome, where we're walking around in these kind of dead states. And and if we could allow creativity in on this whole other relationship, besides it having to be this standard that is created by God knows who, uh, and live through it, you know, and really open up our energy. So it's kind of what my whole life was built around is that helping people come into that. So I, I just get very excited hearing even just the, all these little pieces coming together or all these um, big th- pieces in small ways. Yeah. Thank you. Um, my friend Judith Hill was visiting and I, you know, she keeps up with <laughs> all my stories and I keep, keep up with hers. And I told her about the body of work that I felt good about my body of work. And she said, Joan, what about your body of life? What you've done in your life, make a list. So what, I don't know if I can find it. I know I don't know if I can find it. I had it all laid out. Yeah, pretty here. Is this it? Um, she said, "Make a list of all the things you've done in your life. Everything you can think of, you've done in your life. You've done so much, and we all have. And it doesn't have to. You know, I I learned early on we don't all have to be Zsa Gabor, who was a Hungarian and famous, and my mother didn't like her." But we we all have to be ourselves. I don't know if I can find. She the, was somewhat uh, unlikable, Zsa Gabor, but we all kind of loved her. I, I, that was a funny thing. Uh, well, Zsa went into Betty Weitzner, my mother's beauty salon, and got her hair done. My mother was Hungarian, and Zsa got the bill and says, "Oh, Zsa never pays." <laughs> and Betty says, "At the Betty Weitzner salon, Zsa pays." <laughs> so that was a family story. I can't find, but it, I made a list somewhere of all the things in my life that I could squeeze that, that, you know, like tie dye pillowcases for a birthday party. That's off the top of that was Ooh, not. Yeah. Give us a few. That would, I have the oh, darn it. It's whenever, okay. Whenever I try to be organized, it, um, here it is, here it is. And I called it a, a remembering and I made this list. And I started with, I said, I feel good about my body of work, gesturing to my poetry books. Judith said, I also had a body of life. So then I write poetry handouts, walking, mothering magazine, embroidering winged Sufi hearts, chickens, egg carton label, horses, canning and freezing fruit, ironing, poetry, Trace Chica's books, founding a press, 
Jewish life for the neighborhood, beaded hair barrettes, photography, La Puebla life, BLM oil organizing against a big company coming in, Pittsburgh forever, poetry retablos, children, laundry, married 50 years, teaching at Ghost Ranch, Santa Fe Poet Laureate. Boise has the Logie Gals. I have a fan club in Boise. <laughs> the Logie Gals. Okay. They, they've been meeting for like 15 years. Love it. Quilts for the grandkids, secondhand shopping, poetry, poem holders, blue glass collection, swimming, poet in the schools, 30 years, adult circles, community. Oh, community. We had a poet. We had an artist of the month. Every month I had a local artist come in and give a free workshop. I did that. And then at the end it said, this is more, but this book is a highlight of my depression. <laughs> oh my gosh. I did a lot of stuff. Rubber stamps. We used to have parties, AIDS writing workshop, prison, artist of the month. That's what I mentioned. Mexican tile work. I was so every little obsession that I would get on, I mean, for a while it was Mexican tile work. I was tiling things all over the place. Now I don't, and then I don't do it anymore. It's been done. I wring out the creative juices and move on. Picasso's blue period, Jones tiling period. Does that God, make sense? Absolutely yeah. makes sense. Cause I, I'm, so I'm married to a potter who stopped making poetry and started writing and he almost started, well, recently it's almost been more scientific and he kind of loses people. And I think everybody, well, a lot of us lament, oh, but your pottery was so beautiful. But I I really feel like we sometimes literally move on, that we're there is something else for us. And it's it's hard for other people who um it just takes a while for people to get used to that. Uh I was a musician and I let that go. It took me years to not be able to kind of uh, feel okay with that as I moved. And then I discovered painting and that was years later. So this reinvention, this reiteration, this letting things go that were the highlight and the light and the brightness of our life. I I'm actually, my heart is very open with you there. I, I find it challenging, but it's, it, it's kind of beyond choice. I think at a certain point, it's where, it's where we move. Don't you think? I mean, it's, yes, it is beyond choice. And I, I, yeah. I remember when I was teaching the writing, first teaching the writing workshops, there would be people that would be doing writing and something else. And I was very judgmental. You just need to do one thing. Don't scatter yourself all over the place. So I ended up doing one thing, but sequentially. So that there was one thing that, I mean, I did these poetry potholders where I would type on a machine and sew in poems and make potholders. I did them for about, I don't know, three or five years. I can't remember. I did hundreds of them. I don't do it anymore. I can't. I can't, uh, I can't do it. Yeah. People still have them. They say, Oh, I think of you. And I like that. I want to be thought of. I think that's one of the impulses and I want to think of them too. I think one thing that I was thinking of this morning is that in our life, you kind of build a magnetism, build an interest in other people, invest your time, like study the other people. And I think that's why the people rallied to help me get out of the doldrums is I had invested a little bit of creative and uh, social time in my, in my neighborhood. And I don't feel like you have to be famous in the world. Like Zsa Zsa. Yeah. I feel like if you can serve a function, like I've read two memorial poems in the last month, one for Marguerite Wilson and one for my brother. If you show up where you do some good, 
locally, you don't have that hunger to be on. Uh, I'd like to be on American Idol if I could sing. <laughs> I love I love American Idol, but you don't have that need for people you don't know to think something about you. You have people that you do know that you can actually have some positive effect on. How does that ring true for you right now with your life and your family? Because when we talked, I know you're very involved with your family currently and, you know, it's a different kind of local, but it's local, 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 local. Yeah, it's having my kids here is, I was a lot, I told you my parents would go to Palm Springs and Boca and they both worked. My mother was a beautician, had a very fancy beauty shop. My father had a beautiful men's clothing store, Laramore's in Pittsburgh is still there, third generation, 85 years old. They were involved in their life and I was alone a lot. And now I'm not lonely. I wrote that down yesterday in big letters. I am not lonely. And so many people are. Almost everyone I talk to says, I'm so isolated and I'm so lonely. And my little inner demon goes, what's the matter? You don't have a writing group? Start a writing group at your library. Really? Read Natalie Goldberg's Writing Down the Bones and start a writing workshop. Thank you, Natalie, for giving me that. Thank you, Robert Bly. Thank you, Joya Timpanelli. Thank you, Miriam Sagan. Thank you, Judith Hill. Thank you, Renee Gregorio and Valley Fox, Michelle Holland. I mean, we have these people that are really there for us. And the ones that aren't, forget about them. Beautiful. And what what is it, would you say your challenges now with the depression, you've got all, you've got a lot going, a lot of support, (laughs) a lot of creativity as well. Uh, you know, not, it sounds like not your writing life that you knew it uh, for many years. That's clear. But you have this fourth grade art going. You have all this involvement with people. Do you have ambition at this point? Is it, or is no, it day to day? Yeah, I have no ambition. I, I have ambition to read you one poem before we sign off and you tell me <clears throat> when that is. I would love to hear it. Let's jump in. Let's do it. Okay. So this is a poem. <clears throat> one of my students wrote a poem about kisses. And I wrote this kisses called this poem recently called The Softest Lips. I hope to read your poem about kisses again, as I have kissed no one as exotic as you have, though there was that old famous poet behind his car while his girlfriend of the hour sat in the driver's seat, though he was as homely as a toad, his lips, oh, his lips had been around, kissed the poems into books and into sky, a contagion of soft. And the poet in Vancouver, who used abstractions better than anyone else, or the best friend who had an obsession with death and kissed the life back into me, or the kisses I've blown to children during the pandemic. It's a week away from Good Friday and Passover. I have kissed the Torah with my prayer book or prayer shawl, but there have been missed kisses. That is the name of my new book. Here, I send it to you. I also want to tell you that baby chicks sing inside their shells right before they hatch, Then they tap, tap their pecking kisses. So sing inside your shell. I still write a little bit. John, where did that come from? Because you, you said you haven't been writing so much, but that was just recently. I always say I'm not writing. I truly, I always say that. And then I write, then I have a book. My friends tease me, but truly I did not write for a year. I, I said that I'm re- writing now in my book. Got it. The poems in my book. Yeah, yeah. So that came from one of my students wrote a poem about kisses that I loved. And then I wrote this poem. 
And, you know, it makes me want, what's your sense of the possibility for people right now to sing inside their shell? How is that uh, uniquely where we are in some way? I well, wonder. I think the shell may be, I just thought of an M&M with that shell. The shell may be um, the, the thing that gets between us and the world or us and our inner self. It's that and I've watched all my husband, God bless him, bought an incubator. And one of the things that made me cry that my brother was gone is I can't tell my brother we have an incubator in the living room, that we're hatching chickens in the living room. He would love that. He would laugh so hard. I and mean, he's gone and I can't tell him. Um, but to peck your way out of that little shell, like the little chicks, they they peck and it could take them. It doesn't take them like five minutes. Sometimes it does, but sometimes it takes them two days to get out. Do you hear it? Do you see that going on? Yeah, I've 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 seen a chick. I've been to a live birth of a chick. My daughter was the <laughs> midwife. I've been to live births of people, but the chickens was much more dramatic. I think, not really, but no. They it takes them a while. Their little beaks come out, and then some of them don't make it. She helped a few of them be born, but we have. 12 chicks on the land now that are, were home birthed. Wow. Uh, when you, when you look at your life right now, what's, what's the biggest surprise? Cause you've had a, a, a very eventful life all the way through. I love that list of remembering, by the yeah, way, I'm I, glad I, you could read I that. I also did another list of things that I did that were brave, like drive a school bus. I recommend those to all, to any of you. List making is so unthreatening. We know how to make a list. Cool. Yeah. Um, what was the question? What surprises you the most about your life right now? That I'm not lonely. I was that lonely, gloomy kid with the, the little gray cloud above her head. I'm, I am not overwhelmed with, we have people here almost every day. And even during the pandemic, we had people on the porch, you know, we'd have, like, you can't come in the house, but you can stay on the porch and sing a song so that I'm not lonely and that I really want other people to find ways of connecting with each other before our life is over. Cause I, you know, you could give up or you could yeah. think what's a creative way I could, could I put that little sign up? Could I start a little zoom with one person that I know from elementary school or high school or an old boyfriend, you know who you are out there, you old boyfriends. <laughs> that's another, you're, that's you're, another. Su you're surprised that you're not lonely and you wish that for everyone, right? Because we are yeah. in this big time of loneliness. Uh, a lot of people are experiencing it even still. Uh, and what's your relationship with the depression right now? Is it um, a I'm focus? Is it a background? Is it? Yeah, it's in the back. I'm not depressed. I'm yeah. on medication. Yep. I'm not depressed. I'm cutting back as of this week. Yeah. We'll all be relieved to hear. Um, I, I do have some other neurological issues, which is another story. But right now I'm functioning quite well. Thank you. And this was so sweet and fun. Joan, so sweet and fun. I want to see your fourth grade art. Come uh, over. We're oh my gosh, well, I'm going to have to. And Come with Renee. We're only three miles off the highway. That's a great and idea. We have an open door policy. That's a great idea. Well, I, we jumped in together first thing in the morning, 8.30 our time. I think uh, it you completely make my day. I, I oh. feel that same enthusiasm for creating as I do and did when you were reading and I was uh, listening. There's that same, oh, come on, I, I can do something. It's like from chickens to my own fourth grade book. Do you know what I mean? There's this 
there is a contagion about you that is one of your gifts, in my opinion. So thank thank you you. so much. Well, that's today's podcast of Creative at the Wheel. Before we go, I want to invite you to check out my Creativity and Spirit Online Retreats. Experience for yourself the breakthroughs and support available when you engage your creative self in a safe and playful community. Begin here if you are ready to ignite your own transformational journey in a joyful way. You can also learn more about my one-on-one coaching offerings on my website, paintbiglivebig.com.